stop that. Identify yourself. I am IG-11. I am this child's nurse droid, and require that you remind him to me immediately. A nurse droid? I thought it was a hunter. Aren't IGs usually hunters? Yeah, well, evidently this one's a nurse. I I'm sorry, nurse, but you're gonna have to get out of here. Are you refusing my request? No. I'm telling you to get out of here. That was unpleasant. I'm sorry you had to see that. Bucketheads, Mevartigar. Welcome to the 10th action-packed episode of Mando Vision, Nargai Tom. Thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast where we are focused, hyper-focused, laser-guided vision on Season 1 of The Mandalorian. This is Chapter 8 today. We're talking about The Reckoning. We are going back in to the original reviews that I dropped for the Mandalorian during season one, uh, on the on the other podcast that I do on the Tomcast Popcast, these are the again, like I said, the initial reviews from the day of the release of each individual chapter. So it was fun for me to go back and explore this last chapter because I mean I remember just how keyed up I was after watching this episode. Uh, that last shot, and you know, full spoilers if you haven't watched the show, we're gonna spoil the hell out of it right now and in the review that I'm going to drop for you in just a few minutes. But I was so keyed up as Moff Gideon climbs out of the wreckage of his TIE fighter with the Darksaber in hand. Um, it was it was one of those moments where you just... You know, sometimes those things happen. It was kind of like... The closest equivalent I can think of in, for, for people who are maybe not understanding where I'm coming from, but it was kind of like that moment when like the Avengers get together for the first time, and you're just like, wow, I can't believe I've ever seen this. And it's one of those moments where, for Star Wars, where all these different things that I didn't know if and when they would connect and how they would connect, especially coming from an animated series into a live-action series, it makes no difference. This is the show that brings everything together. This is the chapter of The Mandalorian that brings the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels and everything and, and, and reinforces the idea of, like, this is one galaxy, and everything in it is important. So so pay damn attention to it. So seeing that moment of Gideon with the Darksaber just gets me pumped up, got me so pumped up. Listening back to my review, I can feel, I can hear that energy in my voice. It's just how excited I am. And I think that's one of the strongest point, uh, strongest parts of my initial review for this this chapter is is... Uh, the just the um, volume of information I have to impart <laughs> about the history of the Darksaber because I think for a lot of fans, uh, maybe, maybe you, you weren't plugged into the Clone Wars. Maybe you weren't watching it because it was just a cartoon and it was on Cartoon Network and, you know, it was one of those things that just, it was kind of below your radar initially. Uh, 
so I was able to, again, this is something I'm very proud of. I was able to kind of put that knowledge out there for anyone listening on the podcast of here's what you need to know about this. And this is why it's important to the Mandalorian going forward uh, and not just to our Mandalor- Mandalorian Dinjarin, but to all the Mandalorians, all the Mandalorian characters that are on this show to the Mandalorians as a people. And, um, I, I, again, that's the part of the show I, I was really, really proud of. I thought I did a lot of really good information, imparting information to to everyone. Uh, some of the there there's a little bit though to be critical of, and I think a lot of it has to do with, like I said, I was really amped up. I was I was on some kind of adrenaline rush, uh, uh, doing that initial review because there was a few things I kind of glossed over, not maybe not glossed over, but I I, I sort of phrased. Oddly, uh, and and looking back without the proper context, they might seem a little confusing, you know. Uh, uh, in particular, when I when I when I refer to Boba Fett as as a particular nemesis for Din Djarin moving forward, uh, I think it sort of sounds like I'm trying to imply that Boba Fett is a Mandalorian. Again, we we've detailed that, we chronicle that how he's not, but I think it's sort of again the way I phrase it in this review, and you'll you you'll hear it. I think you'll hear it pretty clearly that it, it sort of imp- I sort of sound like I'm implying that he and and Din Djarin are of the same sort of thing of the, of the, are of the same people and they're and they're not. But what needs to be um, mentioned is that we don't know what they're going to do with Boba Fett. We don't really know how they're going to handle that, and we don't really know uh, what sort of relationship they're going to give Boba Fett to the Mandalorians of of this show of this period. So that's that is that's what remains to be seen. Um, so d- again, Boba Fett's reference to uh, Din Djarin is more of an adversarial thing, but not necessarily as two Mandalorians, just as a Mandalorian and Boba Fett, the guy pretending to be a Mandalorian. So I wanted to put a little bit more clarity into that. The other thing that I was like, you know, I think I've read that room a little bit wrong, or perhaps I was just really excited about the possibility of diving into something that was has been a big Star Wars mystery for so long is uh, in the scene where uh, Din and Kara and, 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 and Grief are with Baby Yoda, IG-11 is there, and they're, they're with the armorer, and she's talking about the history, like giving us little clues, little bits of, of, of history between the Mandalorians and the Jedi. Um, and she charges. She gives the she uh, charges the Mandalorian with the mission of reuniting the child with its people, with its its uh, its kind. And I think I got really excited about the possibility of exploring Yoda's species and Yoda's people. When I think, uh, obviously, in, in hindsight, I, I I just sort of got really focused on that, and instead of realizing that, like she's talking about Jedi. <laughs> She's talking about the Jedi. Uh, Yoda's people will probably still remain some kind of great Star Wars mystery uh, for all time, and that's I have no problem with that at all. It makes a certain amount of sense that she is actually referring to the Jedi. You guys probably were all ahead of me on that one. I, like, like I said, I think I was just amped up, and I got really locked in on this idea of exploring Yoda's species. So I let's put I'm going to put that out on Front Street right now. I. I, I I got laser focused on the idea instead of looking at the obvious answer, which was Jedi, which we'll talk about more later. I also, I also swung and missed on the. I didn't. I don't know why on the initial review I couldn't recognize that the arm that the that the armorer had uh, forged a a mudhorn sigil for for our mighty Mando, uh, but she did. 
<laughs> and it was a mud hornet. It was pretty obvious on subsequent viewings. But by that point, I had I had released the episode, so I wasn't going to go back in. I didn't. But that's been the great part about revisiting these uh, these reviews. You know, six, seven, eight months later, is that I, I can listen back to them and 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 see where you know where my enthusiasm led me down a, a, a street that maybe wasn't the best street to go down in, with, with no flashlights. So that, that's been really, really exciting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the review for you now. I want you to, to embrace everything that's in there. Lots of good stuff. Again, we're going we're gonna to open up. Uh, the review opens up with a clip from Star Wars Rebels that, that talks about the Darksaber and, and its, its, its role, its history with the Mandalorians and and how that intersects with the Jedi. And then we'll come back uh, into the show and you'll hear more good stuff and a little bit of what's to come later this week. Now that we have finally finished re-reviewing season one, because there's, there's a lot ahead not to look forward to. And that's something that's going to, we're, we're going to look forward to it extremely soon, <laughs> extremely soon. And that's all I'm going to say about that for now. So let me plug in that review, and I'll talk to everybody on the other side. So get ready. Strap on your buckets, folks. We are in Chapter 8, The Reckoning. You wanted to speak with me? I've got something to show you. What's this about? A lightsaber. Not just any lightsaber. So you recognize it? That I do. It is the Dark Saber, a symbol for the leader of House Vizsla, and later the group known as Death Watch. I didn't know Mandalorians developed a type of lightsaber. We didn't. This was one of a kind. Legend tells that it was created over a thousand years ago by Tar Vizsla, the first Mandalorian ever inducted into the Jedi Order. After his passing, the Jedi kept the saber in their temple. That was until members of House Vizsla snuck in and liberated it. They used the saber to unify the people and strike down those who would oppose them. One time, they ruled all of Mandalore wielding this blade. This saber is an important symbol to that house and respected by the other clans. I imagine Sabine was excited to recover it. <laughs> you wouldn't know it. After we got back from Dathomir, she gave it to me for safekeeping and hasn't brought it up since. She doesn't want the responsibility. Kanan, if Sabine can wield this saber, she can reunite one of the most powerful houses in all of Mandalore. You're talking about raising an army. With Sabine leading it. Oh! Oh, we have to get into it today, Popheads. The Darksaber is back in play, and what you just heard was a little bit of the Darksaber's history. We have so much more to talk about. Hey, hello, Popheads. Welcome to issue 67 of 3 Bzine Presents, the TomCast Popcast, also known as Popcast, and I am your host with the most. My name is Tom. Please follow the show on social media, at TomCast underscore Popcast on Twitter, at the TomCast underscore Popcast on Instagram. You can email us at TomCastPopcast at gmail.com, and you can head on over to join Pophead Nation at patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopcast. Thank you so much to my current Patreons, the Aspen Hill Chody, the Squidmaster General Brian Broussard, and our newest Patreon, the Batman of Bay Park, Jeff Nail, also the co-host on the Ringy Near podcast. So thank you guys so much for being Patreons. I hope you've had a chance to listen to uh, this month's 
Patreon-only exclusive episode for the, a commentary track for Star Wars The Force Awakens in order to help whet your appetite for The Rise of Skywalker, which uh, that review episode is coming up shortly, and it is going to be full of all kinds of hotness, rage, and anger. These lead to the dark side, and that movie led me to the dark side. But Roger is going to be representing the light because uh, he was a bigger fan than I. So spoilers on that. But we're going to have a nice little debate club, I think. So stay tuned for that. But today we're here to talk about the most important thing that happened in the history of the Internet. Or at least the history of the Internet for the day. Chapter 8 of The Mandalorian dropped today, this morning, the season finale of The Mandalorian. And oh boy, was it a doozy. And as you listen to that clip that opened the show... Um, we're, we're going to dive right into to the big reveal, and now maybe as a casual viewer, you're not quite sure what I'm talking about, what, what the significance of all of that is. So what am I talking about at the very end of The Mandalorian? And again, sp- spoilers, man. We're talking about it. You guys watched it, okay? Spoilers. The very end of the series, of the season, of the shot, Moff Gideon cutting his way out of his TIE fighter with a black-bladed lightsaber. That is the Darksaber, and that is of supreme significance to the Mandalores. So, that's why I dug up that clip for you guys. That's from, uh, that's from Star Wars Rebels. And the Darksaber factors very heavily into the final season of that, of that show. I've highly recommended it to you in the past. I highly recommend it to you now. If you'd like to see more of the Darksaber's history of it in action... You can go back into Star Wars, the Clone Wars animated series, where it plays a bit of a role as well. And I do believe it's been referenced once or twice on Star Wars Resistance. So make sure to make some time to watch those animated series. They're uh, starting to connect some of the dots here. You know, obviously we don't know what the intentions are. We don't know much more than the fact that Moff Gideon has possession of the Darksaber. But as was alluded to in that sound clip... uh, the dark saber is, is this wonderful symbol for the Mandalores. It unites them, usually behind a leader. And obviously, we as we see the Mandalorians in this episode, or in in this series, they they are a scattered people. So whoever can wield that that dark saber has a chance to bring the Mandalorians back together again as a as a force in the, in the Star Wars galaxy, which would be uh, pretty fucking cool because we haven't seen that just yet. But there's so much to get into. You know, the history of, of this one particular artifact is so much mythology for Star Wars. Um, we, they, they mentioned Tar Vizsla as the first Mandalorian Jedi Knight. This is the one-of-a-kind weapon formed, forged by Tar Vizsla to serve as his weapon as a member of the Jedi Knights. Now, what exactly... How is there a Jedi Knight... Mandalorian. We've talked about the, the about the innate conflict between these two uh, cultures, and so a lot of the a lot of the mythology, a lot of the lore surrounding Tar Vizsla is that he was something of a attempt by the Jedi and by the Mandalorians to bridge their differences, uh, to kind of bring them together in a way that hadn't before, because the Mandalorians and the Jedi's in some of the mythology uh, have a very complicated history with one another, and they are almost you know, yin and yang to each other in a, in a lot of senses. So Tar Vizsla was something of an experiment uh, to see if a Jedi, if the Mandalores and the Jedi could become closer through Tar Vizsla. Now, 
again, the mythology is a little dicey. We don't know a lot of details. Because at some point, Tar Vizsla becomes the Mandalore of the Mandalorians. He becomes like their leader. So is he a member of the Knights at the same time? Can he be the leader of a people and a Jedi Knight at the same time? Does he have to leave the Jedi Order? There, there's a lot of gaps to fill in here. The, but the big thing, the big thing to keep note of is the last name. We've mentioned the Vizsla family. Clan Vizsla has been a significant part of of the Mandalorians in the new canon, which is again Star Wars: The Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels, and I, again Resistance is part of the canon, but we're, we're, that's ahead of our time. So we don't need to pay attention to Resistance at the moment. Rebels, Clone Wars. That's our that's our main background for Mandalore and now the Dark Saber. Clan Vizsla in the Clone Wars tried to use the Dark Saber to rally the Mandalorian warriors into resisting the peaceful ways of Duchess Satine. In Rebels, they bring the they bring the, the uh, Sabine Wren, Wren with a W R E N, uh, attempts to use the Dark Saber to reunite the clans against the Empire. And then eventually it's given to another member. And eventually Sabine gives it to uh, Bo Katan to become the leader of the Mandalores in the resistant in, in in attempting to resist the Empire. There's even a phase where you go back into if you if you really get into Clone Wars, you'll see that at one point Darth Maul was a wielder of the dark saber as well as he uh, took over rule of Mandalore and he uh, he he engaged in lightsaber fight with uh, Darth, with Darth Sidious uh, using the dark saber. But I didn't want to get too deep into that. Let's just kind of stick with the Mandalore portion of of the dark saber's history. Now, obviously, Bo-Katan at some point is either killed or removed by the by the Empire because she loses this, and we know what happens at the Mandalorians. The, at some point, the Mandal the the Empire turns on the Mandalorians and eliminates them. This is part of Sabine Wren's story arc in Star Wars Rebels. But remember, Rebels takes place prior to A New Hope, so something's happened since that series ended, that has the Mandalorians in this state now where they are. And we get some some reference to that from from Moff Gideon in this episode where he refers to the Night of a Thousand Tears. We'll get there. We will get there. But remember, remember, Vizsla, this plays a, this plays a big part in things. And I'll say it right now. We'll get to it when it happens, but I'm going to say it right now. The Clan Vizsla sigil is what's on the shoulder pauldron of the Mandalorian who rescues, who rescues young Din Djarin. Oh, that's right. We also got the name of our Mandalorian today. We no longer have to refer to him as Mando, even though I like referring to him as Mando, and I, I may still just do it for fun. But his name is Din Djarin. Orphaned when his parents were killed by a, by a, a separatist battle droids, and then about to be killed himself when a squad of Mandalorians jetpacked into his village and fought off the separatist robots. And then an unnamed Mandalorian takes Din to safety on his jetpack, no less. So that's pretty darn cool. But the shoulder, the shoulder sigil is that of Clan Vizsla. So Clan Vizsla playing a big part in this show. I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised how much Vizsla has been all up and down uh, the history of the Mandalores at this point, you know. Especially considering, you know, at one point, uh, you know, we talked about it on the Boba Fett episode, the... You know, we were under the impression that Boba Fett was the main Mandalorian. Apparently, it's all about the Vizslas, baby. 
You gotta be a Vizsla to get around in Mandalore. This is that odd section I was talking about about Boba Fett. When I make that reference, I'm referring to old canon of Boba Fett, where he was a Mandalorian and became the Mandalore, the leader of the people at one point. Obviously, the Vizslas are new canon, hence why it was a little bit of a... Hence why I wanted to clarify that I, I misspoke a little bit there and, and kind of made, created a confusing statement. So, a little clarity right there for you guys. Boba Fett is a Mandalorian. Old canon, Vizsla's new canon, real canon, current canon. I know there was some speculation initially on the internet that uh, Boba Fett was going to be the per the character who would rescue uh, Din, but uh, clearly we are debunking that. Unless, unless Boba Fett's part of Clan Vizsla and we just didn't even know it. I don't know. Who knows? There's a lot of room for them to play with. But let's assume that they are separate. Uh, I think it makes actually more sense if Fett and Vizsla are actually kind of rivals of each other. But I'm, that may be something they explore later because... And again, a little clarity. I mean this in, an, in again, Boba Fett versus Vizsla in the sense that Vizsla would be upset that he's impersonating a Mandalorian by wearing the armor. That's what I'm getting at there. This season's wrapped up and we don't know any more about... The mysterious boots we saw back in the end, back at the end of chapter six. Is that a boon to Boba Fett? Is Boba Fett now on the trail? Maybe it's another member of Clan Vizsla. Maybe, 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 maybe there's more Mandalorian stuff going on. Maybe, maybe somebody's tracking the dark saber. Who knows? There's a lot to get through in this. But let's let's get into. I think we're in a good spot. We've talked a lot about the dark saber, but now we should get into the main part of the show. I mean, we, when we left, our our heroes were in, were in a bit of a pickle. At the end of chapter seven, and then because that 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 Jolly Saint Nick motherfucker came in here, and Rise of Skywalker was coming out, you know, we haven't had a chance to really you know get a new chapter. We had to wait a little bit longer to get a new chapter of The Mandalorian. Can you believe that shit? It was a bummer. So the episode, uh, let's just say it right off the bat, I think this episode's awesome. This may be the best episode yet. It was a lot of fun. It was uh, action packed and exciting. This episode is, is titled Redemption, it is written by Jon Favreau, and it is directed by everyone's favorite Marvel guy, directed by everybody's favorite Marvel guy, Taika Waititi, also the actor who does the mocap suit for IG-11. Pretty cool, huh? So, his first effort directing anything in the Star Wars universe, and it just so happens to be possibly the best episode of The Mandalorian, at least of season one. So we pick up basically where we left off. The speeder bike's racing back towards the town of Navarro. They have Baby Yoda in their possession. Now they're going to hang back outside of the town and wait for the signal that it's all good to come in with Baby Yoda. And uh, you may recognize the voices of these particular speeder bike troopers uh, because, you know, why not put like celebrities in, in, in the suit and have us have fun with that? It's Adam Pally in one suit and then Jason Sudakis in the other suit. And they have a pretty, uh, pretty little funny exchange back and forth about Gideon and what's like, kind of like the the day-to-day -day rigmarole of stormtrooper life. And every time Baby Yoda makes a noise, though, they punch the little bag that he's in. And yeah, I'm pretty sure that we all wanted them to die for this. And that is not cool. You don't punch the little bag that Baby Yoda's in. So it's a pretty funny scene. There's a lot of hand, funny hand gestures. Now listen, I'm gonna say this right now. Because we're going to get into this when, when we do the review of Rise of Skywalker. This kind of interaction between, uh, between stormtroopers and, and, and between the soldiers of the Imperial Army makes sense. I will tell you why it doesn't make sense in the goddamn Rise of Skywalker 
in that episode. You don't get banter with those ones, okay? We'll talk about why later. Don't worry. All right. Anyways, so these these speeder bike troopers are waiting outside of the town. The one wants to see Baby Yoda. Doesn't nobody knows what Baby Yoda is? Nobody's never seen anything like Yoda before. We we've been there. Now there's a pretty funny part too, where the stormtroopers are trying to shoot a target and they're terrible at it, which you know is very on brand, very on brand for stormtroopers. And you know it's funny too when you watch that scene because they it's not like they're close. They miss by a lot. But they're waiting outside the town, and what this allows to have to happen is what we what we expected to have happen. IG-11 has come to fulfill his programming and protect Baby Yoda. And it's funny because because IG-11 announces himself as a nurse droid, uh, but obviously he's a very lethal nurse droid, and he wastes no time dispatching the two stormtroopers who deserve to die. And I hope they burn in hell for punching Baby Yoda. And it's a great scene where, to, uh, where after he's broken the one arm of one stormtrooper and he flips him around and flips the other one over, he grabs the other one by the helmet and just smashes him through a speeder bike, which is pretty rad. So then he picks up the sack with Baby Yoda, and then we get to see something super cool. We get to see ID-11 power up a speeder bike, and he gets, he's going to take off into town. I don't know if this is great work to, to protect the child by riding into the town where all the stormtroopers are at. Perhaps his programming says that the best way to protect the child is to kill all the people who would do him harm. That's when you get the title cue. There we are, we're in chapter 8. still called Redemption. And now we meet up with our heroes back at the bar. Going off Gideon, issuing commands. He's, this is where we get our, our scene where we find out that Gideon knows a lot. And this is where he drops the name of Din Jaren. He also knows Cara Doom's full name and her role in the Rebel Alliance. And we also find out that Grief Karga is a failed Imperial uh, magistrate, probably an Imperial magistrate. It's not a little unclear. So the Stormtroopers are setting up a lot of weapons. They're getting an E-Web blaster cannon prepared to go. They're trying to. F- our heroes are trying to figure out a way out of the bar before they get blasted to a million pieces. They're having, they want to get out through a sewer grate because the sewers are where the Mandalorian's enclave was held up in Navarro. They were living in the sewers. I don't think that was ever very clear before. At least there, if there was, they were definitely very fancy sewers compared to what we've seen before. Um, if the Ninja Turtles would have loved to live in these sewers, very spacious, very, very spacious. Oh, I forgot to say, too, um, when Moff Gideon is, is intimidating our heroes by showing all he knows about them, revealing their full names and everything like that, we also find out that... Uh, Cardoon is from Alderaan, so there's a nice little connection back. Uh, apparently, part of the reason why she might be so agitated at the Empire is is the death of Alderaan. So a nice little motivation for her. In the scene as well, this as he's revealing the information, as he's telling us the name of the Mandalorian, Moff Gideon refers to the siege of Mandalore, and this is when he mentions the ships that go that mowed down the Mandalorian recruits on the night of a thousand tears. This is when our heroes realize that this is Moff Gideon. At this point, they don't know who's out there. But this information tells Din who he is. And everyone knows that Moff Gideon, by reputation alone, is a badass. Uh Carr even mentions that the, the rumors that he was executed for war crimes. So again Establishing the fact that Gideon is not someone to fuck around with. 
The one part I don't like about this scene is after he after Gideon delivers his threats and gives every appearance of having the upper hand, he then gives our heroes time to think about things, which obviously is time to get away. So if Gideon is such a badass, uh, I really feel like he just should have done what he was going to do. But the theory, the prevailing theory is that because he didn't have the child yet, he didn't want to kill them yet. And I, I'll be honest, I love watching uh, Giancarlo Esposito play this character, play Mark Gideon. Yeah, he, he brings such a nice presence to the, to the role. You know, I totally see this guy as a badass. I don't know about how you guys feel about it, but I, I love seeing him at it as this level of imperial scumbag. You also get reference to the Mind Flayer as well, which you may remember from seeing in Star Wars Rogue One as a device they used on, on Bodhi to see if he was telling the truth. Carr is afraid that if she gets captured by Moff Gideon, they're going to hook her up to a Mind Flayer. And uh, it's funny to see Grief's reaction to that. He says that, uh, that those were not real, that it was just war propaganda. And uh, as again, as we know since we've seen it, uh, very, very real. The scene also provides us with a little bit more context. Again, when, when Din is telling Grief and Kara how he knows it's Gideon because of the fact that he hasn't heard the name spoken aloud since he was a child, we come out and get the fact that, yeah, our, our Mando is not born on Mandalorian, and this is where we find out that Mandalore, they kind of confirm what we've talked about on the show. Mandalore is not a race. And he says, this is interesting, the Mandalore uses this word, he says it's a creed, which is an interesting uh, choice of, of words. But effectively conveys what we've all been talking about for this entire season. This is when you get the flashback. We get the full scene now of Din as a child when the Separatist army is, is attacking his village. Again, we know we're not on Mandalore, but we don't know where we are. So the scene plays out, like I said, we've seen the snippets in, the, in, the, in previous episodes. You know, the, they, His parents, mother and father both, put him away in a little underground, uh, like, I want to say pantry, but I know that's not the right word. But it's like a little little shelter underneath the ground. And as it's opened up by a super a super battle droid, a Mandalorian, fully in full regalia, very Boba Fett-esque looking, comes to rescue Jin. He offers him his hand, he takes his hand, and that's when we see Mandalorian swooping out of the sky to attack the battle droids, to attack the Separatist forces. So, we again, we don't know the context. We don't know if this planet's under protection of the Mandalores or how this works out necessarily. If they were hired by anyone, perhaps the Republic hires them to, to deal with separatist forces in one section. We don't know for sure. But it's a great scene. Again, these Mandalorians all have their jetpacks. They're all swooping in. They all have the, the, the blaster rifles similar to Boba Fett's design. And again, you see that, that emblem on the shoulder pauldron indicating this is Clan Vizsla doing this action. And the one who, who rescues Din takes off to get him to safety. And now this is how Din becomes the foundling. Again, we've, we've sort of seen this before, but to see this is how it plays out, how the Mandalorian rescues him is very, very interesting. He then talks about being raised in the fighting corps, treated as one of their own until he came of age and then he was sworn into the creed. The only record of his family name was in the registers of Mandalore, and that Moff Gideon was an ISB officer during the Purge. Again, we're referencing the Purge. We talk, we, we've talked about this in Episode 3. ISB, the Imperial Security Bureau. All right, so we know Gideon's kind of a badass because of that. 
the Imperial Security Bureau is something of Im Imperial... It's not like the CIA or the FBI necessarily, but it's it's sort of the Star Wars equivalent of all that. It's basically there's you know intelligence gathering. There's there's all that stuff going on in there. So being in part of the Imperial Security Bureau is a little bit different than just being a standard Imperial officer. It's at this point now that our heroes reach back out on the comm to see if Kuil got was able to get away with the child. We and we get IG Eleven responding. And he's tearing ass on that speeder bike. He's coming right into the Navarre, and he's about to start killing the fuck out of some stormtroopers. Awesome action sequence right here. As on a speeder bike, IG-11 is blowing stormtroopers away at breakneck speeds, and he's doing his cool swivel moves. <laughs> and Baby Yoda loves it. You get awesome, awesome Baby Yoda stuff in this episode. It's so good. And as the, the stormtroopers who are facing the bar, holding... The Mandalorian and Cara Dune and everyone at bay, they hear the blaster fire. They hear what's coming for him. And this is when, again, the, the it's just a, a wonderful action piece. And Ta Taika Waititi directs the shit out of it. And they just blow everything to holy hell. And this gives our heroes a chance. It's also really cool the way IG-11 is able to swivel his body around so that the baby Yoda is not in the line of fire here. Turns him around, and then he swivels the arms around. Such a cool feature with this robot. They do such a great job with this droid. It's fantastic. The the, the action he's capable of doing and keeping Baby Yoda safe and protected at the same, same time. Hell of a nurse droid right there, folks. This is what you got to get to be your babysitter. This guy's a bad motherfucker. But again, this opens up the window for our heroes to get a chance to fight back. And they start mowing down stormtroopers from inside the bar. Din Djarin comes out of the bar, blasters firing. Grief follows behind him. Time to fight some death troopers. Great, again, awesome, awesome action sequence. And then uh, Gideon comes and re-enters the fray here as Din Djarin picks up the, the E-Web repeating blaster cannon and starts mowing down the Imperial forces. Um, Gideon gets a drop on him, and instead of shooting the Mandalorian with his blaster, he hits the power pack for the E-Web and blows Din Djarin to, straight to hell. Oh, so to speak. You know, you can't kill the hero. Sorry. So Cardoon rushes out. She brings the Mandalorian. They head back into the bar. They, they, hold, they fall back into the bar. IG-11's with them. IG-11, being the cool droid that he is, has a cutting torch. They haven't been able to get in that sewer. Uh, it's been problematic cutting into that grate. So IG-11's got the torch. He's going to be able to do it. Gideon's going to send in an Imperial Flamethrower Trooper. Flame Trooper? That, that, that probably sounds better. He's kind of a badass-looking dude with the red all over his face. Looks a little bit reminiscent of the figures that we saw in the in the First Order who have the flamethrowers. But I love the classic Stormtrooper design a lot more, so I like this guy better. And basically our Mandalorian friend, Din Djarin, believes he's dying. He's wanting, He wants to be left behind, but Kara's not going to let him do that. But we see the blood coming out of his helmet. He took it bad when he got exploded. She keeps trying to take off his helmet to help him. Again, refusing to, to let the aid be rendered if it means taking off his helmet. So he wants Kara to take care of the child. He gives her the, the mythosaur rune, the, the, the necklace that he wears. And he wants them, her to take it, find the Mandalorians, and give that rune to them so they know that he sent her with the baby. and that They will protect the baby now after his death. 
the Imperial Flame Trooper shows up, and it's fire time, baby. He's the he's gonna burn that bar to the ground. Our hero's in trouble. IG Eleven hasn't finished cutting yet, but the man is gonna sacrifice himself. He wants to save Baby Yoda. He wants to save them. He knows he's dead, and here comes the Flame Trooper. Now this was an interesting part here because I was, I was not. I thought, I thought we may get another force healing scene from Baby Yoda where he helps the Mandalorian recover. Baby Yoda seems to be waiting and and for his moment to shine in this in this in in this battle. And he's he's chosen this point right here as the flame trooper enters the building. Flamethrower blazing. Pointed right at him. They're all about to be torched. Baby Yoda, hands raised and unleashes the force to protect them all. Sends the flames right back in the trooper, blowing him up and sending him out flinging him back out the door. Again, grief. Everyone looks on in disbelief at what they're seeing as that stormtrooper explodes. That's <laughs> such a great fucking scene. And Baby Yoda, you know, the effort again. He's a little pooped. Just pops right down the ground and falls over. He's a little tie-tie. All right, the grate's open. It's time to go. The Mando's still begging them to leave him. He's going to slow them down. He's in no condition. IG-11 scoops up Baby Yoda. IG-11 hands the baby to Cara Dune, urges her to protect the child. Grief heads down into the sewer. And Cara makes, makes IG-11 promise to bring the Mandalorian with him. And IG-11 gives her word. Now, IG-11 enters the scene here with the Mandalorian in an attempt to render aid. He wants to give first aid to the Mandalorian, uh, but the Mando won't let him take his helmet off. He's never, he says, another living person's not seen me without this helmet, and to which IG-11 responds, I'm not a living thing. And so he takes his helmet off. He's able to re remove his helmet, and this is when we get our first glimpse of Din Djarin, of Pedro Pascal, as the Mandalorian. And so IG-11 renders first aid. He applies a Bacta spray to help promote the healing of the wound. Bacta is, if for anyone unfamiliar, uh, Bacta is like super medicine in a, in a lot of senses uh, for the Star Wars universe. If you remember in The Empire Strikes Back, uh, the Bacta tank, after Luke's been attacked by the Wampa, that's the tank that Luke is floating in. That's, that's Bacta. It promotes the healing of the body. So he gets that infusion of, of Bacta sprayed onto his wounds. And they head into the sewer together. But not before IG-11 makes a funny joke about the Mandalorian receiving damage to a central processing unit. <laughs> it's funnier than it's, I'm making it sound. <laughs> but that's pretty much your only glimpse of Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian. Because the helmet goes back on as they get back into the sewers here. Now they're trying to find the Mandalorian Enclave. They're trying to get help from the Mandalorians. I'm a little surprised that, that Din believes the Mandalorians would still be here after the way things ended in Episode 3. Uh, and what we're going to find out as they finally make their way to the Enclave is that there were, there were repercussions for helping Din escape with Baby Yoda. And they find that out when they, when they reach the Enclave and they find shattered Mandalorian battle armor piled up in the middle. Apparently, the, the Imperial forces came for them after they were able to buy time for Jin and 
Baby Yoda to escape. Um, it makes a ton of sense that the Empire wasn't going to just let their forces be butchered, that they would come for the Mandalorians. Uh, killing a bunch of bounty hunters was a lot easier, apparently, than fending off Imperial troops. You know, remember, at the beginning of the last episode, Grief tells us how the Imperial presence has gone up. And Grief... Grief has to defend himself, because he believes that he might be... The Mando believes Grief might be responsible for this. And that's when the Armorer makes her presence known. She comes out to say that it was not his fault. And that once revealed, it was only a matter of time before the Empire came to get them. This is a very cool, this is a very cool scene as well. Uh, because, again, we get a little bit more information about, about the Mandalorians and their situation right now. You know, n not everyone was killed. She hopes that some of the Mandalorians were able to escape. But she's staying behind to salvage the remains of their people, of their culture. What's also key about this scene is, is, is what's going to be coming up very, very shortly. Um, our Mandalorian finally gets his sigil as this has been hinted at for a little while now. But we also he also gets his mission, essentially, for what will be season two of the show. And we'll talk about that as a plan that plays out. It's a, Like I said, I like the scene with the armor quite a bit. I love watching her as she takes the, the armor of the fallen Mandalorians and, and melts it back down again so they can be reforged and used by another set of warriors. And this is where she wants to see what all the fuss is about, and she sees Baby Yoda. And he tells her that this is the one who helped him with the Mudhorn. <laughs> she comments how helpless he looks. This is where it's important of, as well. Because this is where Din tells the Armorer about Baby Yoda's abilities. And the Armorer says that she knows of such things. It's injured, but it is not helpless. Its species can move objects with its mind. I know of such things. The songs of eons past tell of battles between Mandalore the Great and an order of sorcerers called Jedi that fought with such powers. It is an enemy? No. It's kind we're enemies, but this individual is not. What is it? It is a foundling. By creed, it is in your care. You wish me to train this thing? It is too weak. It would die. You have no choice. You must reunite it with its own kind. Where? This you must determine. You expect me to search the galaxy for the home of this creature and deliver it to a race of enemy sorcerers? This is the way. I don't know. Again, it seems like a little bit. everyone's underestimating Baby Yoda a little bit here and uh, his strength and everything like that. Uh... But, you know, let's just roll with it, because this is where he's going to get his, char his his mission, basically. His new goal, I suppose, is a good way to put it. You get to see some of that mythology that we've talked about, about this, this history that the Jedi and the Mandalorians have with each other. You get to see that in just a few lines of this episode. You know, Din is told that the Jedi were enemies. So instantly that makes him his enemies. Now he's expected to deliver Baby Yoda to his enemies. It seems very far-fetched to him. It seems very odd. But this is the way, and that's this is the mission. This is what it's going to be. This is season two of The Mandalore coming up. Or is it of The Mandalore? Of The Mandalorian, I should say. Oof. Dodge a bullet on that one. The armorer also gives them their escape plan. 
they have to get off planet immediately. So she tells them to take the tunnel down. They're going to find the lava rivers. It's time to get out of there. The Mando says he wants to stay with the armor, that he needs to, to help her, and he needs to heal. But that's not going to happen. The armor says you must go because the foundling is in your care. By the creed, until it is of age or reunited with its own kind, you are as its father. Boom. In your face, Mando. Baby Yoda loves that, by the way. Gives him a nice little cuckoo sound. Loves it. Again, this is the way. And here's where he's earned his signet. It's a nice little cool symbol. I can't even really describe it necessarily, but she says, yeah, it's a mud horn. Um, as she attaches it to his arm, welds it in place to his armor, that you are a clan of two. And it's this cool little swoopy, like, talent almost thing. I, I don't know. It's really cool looking. All right, so our heroes have to take off. But we know the imps are coming. As our heroes are making their way out, before the Imperials can arrive, one more gift for our Mandalorian, for Din, as he leaves. And it's from one of the fallen Mandalorian armors. And it is the Phoenix, the rocket pack. It's interesting the way that she describes talking about the, about the rocket pack. Um, it's almost like it has some kind of life to it, some kind of sentience to it. She tells him that when he is healed, he will begin his drills. Until you know it, it will not listen to your commands. So it's very, very interesting what, what we may learn more about that rocket pack in season two of the show. He does get to, we do get to play with it a little bit here in the episode, but that's coming up. All right, so IG-11 bought him some more time, but it's time to go. It's time to go. They're going to restock you their munitions. Uh, the armor hands IG, IG-11 the rocket pack to hang on to it until Din Djarin is well enough to wear it. All right, the armor in her, in her forge, kneeling with her hammer and her other tool, the scalpel-y, picky thingy. I don't know what that's called. Looks like she should flip over some stakes with it, though. She's kneeling in front of the forge as the Imperial Stormtroopers come in, and this is when she unleashes a barrage of the fucking epic beatdown on these Stormtrooper chumps, just smashing the fuck out of them with this fucking hammer. It is so great. As she smashes these Stormtrooper dopes in the face, just bits of plastoid flying through the air. It is epic beatdown city. So good. Loved every second of this fight. Especially when she throws the one Stormtrooper in the forge and he just instantly melts into nothing. Look at that. Smack! So good. Yeah, you don't fuck with the armor. She's a badass. Alright, our heroes made it down to the river. There's a boat waiting. They have to get the boat going. There's a droid on it. Man, this is so weird, too. Once they, once they get the boat going, the droid kind of activates and comes to life. And you see, it, the droid, we thought it was an astromech, right? Like an R2-D2 kind of droid. But it springs up. It has its own fucking arms and legs. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It's a little unsettling to see an R2 unit with arms and legs standing about six feet tall. And, you know, has like a giant metal oar for steering this boat in a lava flat. It's insane. All right, here's where we get to our heroes near the end of the end of this tunnel. They think they're going to make it out to the mud flats themselves and be free and be able to get away. The imps are waiting for them. 
Din has scanned the area. He sees that they're waiting for him. So they have to come up with a plan. IG-11 has one plan, and it's to kill all the stormtroopers by self-destructing with his thermal detonator. They set this up in episode one, the self-destruct mechanism that allows him not to be captured. And he says that uh, by allowing the Mandalorian and his friends to live and Baby Yoda to live, he will have served his purpose. And so this is, this is the plan. The man is reluctant. He's come around in this droid a little bit because IG-11 has proven to be quite useful. And it's a sweet gesture. You know, IG-11, a robot, but he's programmed to take care of this, this, this Yoda baby, uh, gives him a little little stroke of the ear before he jumps into the lava pit and walks his way towards the Imperial Stormtroopers. Again, it's a cool shot. IG-11 is basically melting as he, with every step he takes. But he will get ahead of the Stormtroopers and he will eliminate them, thus saving our heroes. Epic explosions. But Moff Gideon is not done. He's got the TIE Fighter and he's coming in for airstrikes. The blasters are rendered effective. The, the blasters are useless again. And, and Grief Karga's plan is to make Baby Yoda do the magic hand thing, which is pretty hilarious to see Grief Karga attempt to do the magic hand thing with the three fingers. Hilarious. Carweather's killing it. So, as one would expect a baby to do, Baby Yoda sees Carl Weathers waving at him, and he, he just waves back. It's awesome. So good. Baby Yoda, hero, role model. But our Mandalorian friend, he's got a couple of tricks up his sleeve because he now has a rocket pack, baby. So he's going to strap that puppy on. And as Moff Gideon comes in for another, another pass, it's time to fire that sucker up. Moff Gideon rather surprised when the Mandalorian takes flight here. Jesse thinks he's about to kill them all. Mando up in the air. Grappling hook onto the TIE fighter. It's, a, again, another awesome action piece. We saw a little bit of this, of this from the trailers right before the show debuted. But it's really cool to see the way they do it. You know, Mandalor the Mandalorian hanging on for dear life to this TIE fighter, attempting to, to disable it somehow. Eventually, he is able to get uh, explosive charges placed onto the wing of the TIE fighter. And he's able to, to disable it. And then it crashing back down to Navarro. So that's it for Moff Gideon, right? Yeah, he's down and out. It's over. Oh, look, there he exploded. He's done. Boom. You suck. Mando safely lands with, his, with the aid of his new rocket pack. And everything seems good. I thought this was a little strange what happens next, though. Grief, impressed by what he just saw, says that the Mandalorian's uh, guild rates are about to go up, which I guess is probably pretty darn true. And then we find out that the, the Cara Doom's going to stay in Navarro. And Grief is staying as well, and it seems like uh, the scum and... He says, the scum and villainy has been washed away. It's very respectable again now. So Grief and Cara are staying, which I thought was interesting. This is... Uh, I don't know. I thought for sure they would leave and be, be, part, be like a posse together. But again, the crux of the story is the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. So when Baby Yoda approaches the Mandalorian's leg and gives him a hug around the leg, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty cute. But Grief does try to talk to him and talk him into going back to the guild. But he, Grief knows that he has to go and take care of Baby Yoda first. But Grief offers him a role when he comes back. So everyone says their byes and they Give Baby Yoda a little love on the ears. 
And it seems like the Mandalorian has much more accepted his responsibility now of taking care of this child. Perhaps, you know, I think we speculated before that he maybe he considered the child a family at the, at the very beginning. But I think perhaps he just saw it as an innocent who didn't deserve the fate it had in store for him. So we get the great shot here of the Mandalorian taking off with his new rocket pack. And it's a shot that mirrors the shot we saw of Din being rescued by the Clan Vizsla member. Now Baby Yoda is in that spot where Din was as they rocket off to safety and head back to the Razor Crest. As we get back to the Razor Crest, we see the Mandalorian. He builds a grave for Kuil, who died helping to protect Baby Yoda. As we, you know, we're starting to put together a nice little bow on the end of season one here, as everything's kind of wrapping itself up. They get back on the, but they board the Razor Crest. Mandalorian gives Baby Yoda, puts him in the co-pilot seat behind him, and we find that uh, Baby Yoda has a little knickknack he's eating on. Turns out it's that uh, that mythosaur pendant that Din had, and he sees it, and he sees it around Baby Yoda's neck. And he decides he's going to let him keep it. So the Razor Crest takes off. We're leaving Navarro. We're off to season two. We're off to season two. We pan over Grief and Kara as they head back to the town. And we pan past the downed TIE Fighter of Moff Gideon. And then we go into that wreckage of the TIE Fighter. And we see the local Jawas around scavenging that TIE fighter looking for parts and essential components that they can then sell to the people of Navarro. And then a red glowing emanates from the hull of the TIE fighter and a black blade appears and it cuts a giant hole in the side of the TIE fighter. And this is when people like me started losing our minds because we've seen that. And then as Moff Gideon emerges with the full Darksaber engaged, we all collectively lost our effing minds as Moff Gideon climbs the hulk of his downed TIE fighter, Darksaber fully engaged in his hands. Oh, we know. Shit is going to get real in Season 2. Oh, then that's it, folks. That's the end. That is the conclusion. Season 1 of The Mandalore wraps up eight chapters of awesome entertainment. I said it before. Yeah, it gets a little... Uh, episodes 4, 5, and 6, you know... Okay, they're good for the most part. Slows us down a little bit. But, oh boy, did we finish strong with 7 and 8. That is for damn sure. So I love this first season. But what, what do we have in store for season 2? You know, obviously the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian now has his charge. He needs to find where Baby Yoda comes from and deliver him to his people. So are we going to get to finally explore more of the myth, of the, of the origins of Yoda and his people? Are we going to learn an actual name of his species? These these are possibilities for us, right? Like, this is something that could happen. If, depending on how they want to play this out. I mean, there's a lot that could be done here. There's a lot that, uh, there's a lot of different directions to go in as far as this goes. I'm, I'm curious if uh, Favreau will, uh, if they do decide to explore more into Yoda and his, his people and his species, his origins, things like that, you know, will Favreau try to consult? Will Favreau try to consult with George Lucas, who apparently is the only one who knows anything about Yoda and his people, or does Favreau have his own ideas for the story he wants to tell? I am a little curious. It does seem that, uh, despite despite being the man who created Star Wars, 
uh, a lot of the people at Disney don't seem to have much interest in his ideas or his uh, story points, you know, as, as has been famously uh, talked about. You know, he presented Disney in, with uh, his story notes for episodes 7, 8, and 9, and they basically said thanks, but no thanks, and, you know, kind of chucked him in a dumpster. After seeing how 7, 8, 9 played out, I would be very, very curious to know what ideas George Lucas originally had for episodes 7, 8, and 9 of the Star Wars series. So, yeah, you know, Favreau's always struck me as a fellow uh, in his work with, with Marvel Studios as someone who's very respectful to uh, the source material and to the, the people who created the material. So I, I am curious if, he, if we find out that he has that a chat with Lucas about Yoda's people, or perhaps we never even get that far. You know, he may have another couple of ideas in mind for, for what's going to happen in season two or season three down the road. Now, again, with this last episode of season one airing, Favreau was on Twitter today, and he did announce that season two of The Mandalorian will begin airing sometime in the fall of 2020. So they're, they are deep in production on it now, and uh, the plan is it'll probably air roughly around the same time as it started last year. So about a year between the seasons. Seems about right. But, you know, the fall will be here soon. <laughs> It'll be here soon, and we'll be able to watch more episodes of The Mandalorian. Again, interesting to kind of speculate on where we can go next. You know, obviously we're learning a ton about The Mandalorians at this point. You know, now we know there's something called the Night of a Thousand Tears. We know a little bit about the Purge. We know who the Imperial officer, at least an Imperial officer who helped oversee the Purge and the Night of a Thousand Tears was, being Moff Gideon. Why does Moff Gideon have the Darksaber? Is he some kind of uh, Mandalorian fanatic? You know, is he, does he, is he somebody who has an interest in Mandalorian culture of their artifacts? Or does he fancy himself the leader of the Mandalorians because he is the one in possession of the Darksaber? Does he have Mandalorians working for him because they follow who wields the Darksaber? There's a lot to unpack as as things move forward here and, and we get to a season two of The Mandalorian. And I'm also curious, will there be a t any sort of uh, time between the season, between the, these seasons? Or will it be relatively no time between season one and season two? You know, I'm assuming that uh, Disney and, and, and Favreau and everybody is not eager to lose the cuteness of Baby Yoda by turning him into a, a, a teenager anytime soon. So my assumption is Baby Yoda's going to stay Baby Yoda for quite a while. Don't look forward to any, any crazy time jumps here or anything like that. Yeah, there's just a lot. Uh, a lot of great answers, a lot of more mysteries to unpack as well. What role will, will Clan Vizsla play going forward? Will they play a role? Now, it, it never came back up in this season, but apparently that one heavy, heavily armored Mandalorian was a member of Clan Vizsla, the one who got into the knife fight with our Mandalorian friend Din in Episode 3, in Chapter 3. I'm assuming the Vizsla would be very interested in knowing that Moff Gideon has the Darksaber with him. But again, we're speculating right now. Oh man, this was an exciting episode. This was an exciting series. And I can't wait to talk more about it, to get into more of the mythology, as they seem to be doing a wonderful job of incorporating it. What we can do in the meantime, what I'll be doing in the meantime, as I get mentally prepared for more episodes of The Mandalorian, is I'm going to be revisiting 
the 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 episodes involving the Clone Wars. I'll be rewatching episodes of Rebels. Uh, I may just watch the entire series. It's probably just easier to watch them all because those are both great shows. And you know, thirty minutes apiece, you can fly right through them. So if you guys want to want to get more prepared for things that are coming up, you know, kind of get that deeper appreciation for for some of the cool things that are happening. Watch those shows. I, th- I think all of it. You know, obviously we're all watching The Mandalorian, so we all have Disney Plus, which means we all have access to the Clone Wars. We all have access to Star Wars Rebels right now, so I say we take advantage of it. Let's revisit. Let's get nerdy. Let's uh, let's up our Mandalorian heritage game. You know, we know all, we know a lot, but we can know a lot more. And uh, let's see what they have in store for us. I think there's gonna be more twists, more turns, more surprises. I think knowing that the Mandalorian has more of a uh, more of a, a the Mandalorian has his mission. And I think it's a mission that will allow for more story-driven things to to happen and to occur. I I kind of think there is room. There's definitely room to improve on some of the storytelling aspects of the of the season of the series. You know, there was a little, little there was a little fat in the middle. You know, four, five, and six, a little. But overall, this says this this series has been a huge success, huge triumph. I'd love to see Favreau do more Star Wars stuff, but even if he doesn't want to, if he just wants to stay on The Mandalorian, I'm okay with that too. The series has been a real blast. It's been a lot of fun. They've been able to incorporate so much of the mythology that I appreciate and even even get some nods to some of the older mythology, some of the older canon that we've talked about on the show previously. So I'm really excited. I hope you guys have enjoyed this as much as I have because this show has been a hoot. It's been a real treat, and I have loved talking about it with you guys. So... That's it. I mean, we we did two two series breakdowns this this fall. You know, we we broke down the Watchmen episodes. And now we've broken down every episode of The Mandalorian, and it's been a real blast. I've had a great time doing it. It's been a lot of a lot of fun. You can't self destruct. Your base command is to watch the child. That supersedes your manufacturer's protocol, right? Right. This is correct. Good. Now grab a blaster and help us shoot our way out. Victory through combat is impossible. We will be captured. The child will be lost. Sadly, there is no scenario where the child is saved in which I survive. Listen, you're not going anywhere. We need you. Let's just come up with Please tell me the child will be safe in your care. If you do so, I can default to my secondary command. But you'll be destroyed. And you will live. And I will have served my purpose. Hey, all right. Welcome back to the present. I hope you enjoyed... Uh, my initial review from, uh, what was that? Gosh, December 27th, I think, was when uh, Chapter 8 first debuted on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it was it was a fun look back. We, we, we ended it with that sound clip from uh, IG-11 right before his, uh, his heroic and noble sacrifice to save Baby Yoda, the child, Cara Dune, Grief Karga, and Din Djarin, the mighty Mandalorian himself. Uh, a, a bold, a bold, brave sacrifice. Uh, Kuil... Quill uh, dying in the line of duty to protect the child also in, in chapter 7. You know, so the friends we made throughout the course of this season, uh, some of them had to pay and make the ultimate sacrifice to save the child. Uh, and that shows the the, uh, the strength of these characters um, and, and, and their resolve to do the right thing, which is, is at the heart, at Star Wars, at the heart of the Star Wars story, it, it's about characters making the morally right decision to do the right thing at the right time, all the time. And and we complete our arc 
for the for the Mandalorian character. He's now been charged by the armor. He knows that he is now. It, it, he's known that he's the protector of that child, but now it, it it is his duty. It is part of the creed that he must follow, and he has sworn to to the creed. And now the armor has charged him, and it's formal now. It, it's kind of like binding that the child is a foundling, and Din Djarin is in its care, and he is like a father unto it now. And so we that's how we transition. Has, that's how Din's character grows from the first episode to chapter 8 now. Uh, he struggled against it, against the responsibility of taking care of the child, uh, but he always knew it was the right thing to do. You know, it just, it just took a little bit for him, for him to get there to realize uh, the stakes, and and the stakes are are high. You know, the uh, the Imperials and Moff Gideon in particular, are not going to stop. Always will be looking for the baby, the child, little baby Yoda, as we call him on the world. In the world, the world just calls him baby Yoda now. It's not even a thing. <laughs> so again, that's a really wonderful transformation for the for the character for this for this. Uh, his development as, as, a, as a person, as a character on the show. It'll be interesting to see... I mean, the trailers for season two have indicated that he is uh, fully embracing that role as a child goes with him everywhere, even to the most dangerous uh, uh, hives of scum and villainy. And that that's uh, refreshing, because that was, that was one thing that I kind of always... Uh, I always bumped up against in season one was sort of his uh, reluctance to, to embrace the child and would just stuff him in cupboards and things like that. And this is really a nice change of pace. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they play, play this out further in Season 2. Uh, other things I wanted to, wanted to talk about, too. You know, again, we talked about it, how when the armor's referring to Yoda's people, to Yoda's kind. I say Yoda, I mean baby Yoda's. I mean the child's kind, the child's species. Uh, uh, it's people. Uh, I, clearly, I, I think I think it's very fair, to, I think it's a very safe bet that she is referring to the Jedi. Because, listen... As the armor illustrated, as she talked about in in the songs of eons past, the the Mandalorians and the Jedi have had conflict with each other for a long time. We played that clip from Star Wars Rebels that illustrates that. It's it's it just makes sense that moving forward, that conflict is uh, talked about more and and more well defined throughout this series because. These are two important species, or two important uh, uh, clans, I suppose. If you want to, you know, uh, if you want to compare the Jedi's and the Mandalorians to each other, they ha- they have this uh, wonderful sense of belief, but they also constantly kind of find themselves in conflict with one another. And you know, we talked about how Tara Vizsla might have been some kind of idea of Mandalorians of the past and Jedi of the past to kind of bridge their differences, but perhaps Baby Yoda. And the role that Din Djarin will play in protecting that child and bringing that child back to the Jedi potentially uh, will 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 you know I guess we'll wait and see. I don't want to speculate too much. We got I, I want to tell you guys real quick. We have a big speculation based episode coming up where we're going to talk about all the things that could happen in season two, and that's going to be our uh, the second big episode of this week. And I want you guys guys and gals and 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 theys and thems and everybody get ready. That's all that matters. Get ready, because we're, we're going to start talking about stuff. It's time to look forward. We've looked back on Season 1. It's time to look forward to Season 2, because Season 2 is going to be here so darn soon. It's 11 days out. It's 11 days until we get to watch the new season. That's really, really exciting stuff. So before before we kind of close out this final review of Season 1, 
uh, a couple things I, would, I did want to mention real quick. Uh, we didn't give enough credit to, to Ludwig Gordonson and his scoring for season one. Ludwig's score is is one of those things where it, it was instantly captivating. He hit all the right notes in all the scenes. Uh, that rings true even in, in especially in this episode. I, lo- I love the kind of music that plays underneath when the armorer is fighting the stormtroopers in in the in the forging room. Uh, just if you if you can if you listen back to it, rewatch it, and kind of hear that music that, that plays underneath, and it's so uh, striking and powerful. And it's striking because she's striking those stormtroopers across their stupid faces, and it's awesome. So I love that. So good, so so good. He did literally did a killer job on season one of the show, and I'm assuming he's going to do a killer job on season two of it. Uh, we didn't talk about where we left uh, Grief and Karga. I'm sorry, Grief and Karga. <laughs> grief, Karga, and Kara Doom. Uh, yes, Kara's staying on Navarro with Grief. Uh, it sounds like she's going to take on the role of, of his sort of enforcer. Uh, she seems to have some concerns about the about the uh, the tracker that's on her, the, 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 the chit that is, you know, that lures the baddie hunters to come after her. But I guess Grief's going to deal with that, and we'll see where we, we will see where we find them in season two, because we know we're going to meet up with them again at some point in season two, maybe early on, maybe down the road. We're not quite sure just yet how it's going to play out, but it's something exciting to look forward to. Uh, I should also mention, because as I've been saying uh, throughout these revisited episodes, you know, since the quarantine, since the pandemic struck, uh, and, and we've always spending more time at home, The Mandalorian has been a show that I have revisited uh, multiple, multiple times uh, because it's just so easy to watch. It's so digestible every time. Uh, but there, there's layers and there's nuance to it, and it's it's so wonderful to to re-explore it, even though you know it. But to but to re-explore it and, and, to, and to kind of see that nuance in in every little episode and in some of the performances is so nice and so wonderful. And uh, again, we we talk a lot about the, the love we have for for the child for Baby Yoda on the series. And that's never going to change. But I, I have to confess that when I watched, when I rewatched this episode in particular, uh, the scene with the flame trooper, with the flame trooper coming into the bar, Din is 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 knocked out from the explosion. Well, not knocked out, but incapacitated, unable to uh, defend himself or anybody in the room. Kara and grief and, and IG Eleven, all occupied with trying to save Din and, and make their escape. The flame trooper enters that room, and the the way it's shot from behind the child, from behind Baby Yoda, the way the flame explodes towards him, towards the other characters, uh, and the music kind of just is it's just real subtle. It's real beneath the surface, but everything else quiets down real low, and we just see the expression on the child's face as he raises his hands to use the force to save. These people who are risking everything to save him, uh, and it makes me cry. It makes me cry. I can't help it. You know, someone's gonna someone's gonna message me and say that you cried at a puppet, and I'm gonna say you're goddamn right I did, because it's a beautiful moment and a beautiful show full of beautiful moments. And again, it's 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 quintessential Star Wars. Quintessential Star Wars that uh, uh, these characters rise up to to do the right thing, to save their friends, to, to have each other's backs. And that goes for the, for the child as well. And and it's one of the reasons why I love Star Wars so much. The Favreau and Dave Filoni and, and his team of writers and directors, well, I guess mostly just directors, um, 
they 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 all did such a wonderful job on this first season and they've had praise heaped on them since the beginning but i'm gonna heap a little bit more as we head into season two because it's just a beautiful beautiful scene and a beautiful beautiful moment and uh if you haven't had a chance to rewatch the series which i'm sure you have rewatch it again especially this this closing out episode to kind of get you get you fired up for season two uh because that is just just really well done and uh, taika waititi directed this episode i know we talked about that earlier but uh, that that man has got some serious uh, directing chops about him. So, well done, Mr. Taika Waititi. I, I I respect the hell of you just like everyone else in the world does. All right, so one more thing we have to get into real quick before we wrap it up. I have been misidentifying the name of this episode, and I need to apologize for that immediately. I'm sure everyone caught it uh, when I first did it in the opening of the show. Uh, I, I think it's just because I like seeing The Reckoning. But this action, this, this, the title of this chapter is Redemption. And we needed to talk about that because that's a very important theme for this, the, not only this episode of the show, but for the season overall. Because if you remember back to chapter three, the big shootout episode where uh, it's titled The Sin. So that is the episode in which the Mandalorian turns over Baby Yoda to the Imperials, to the client, the Werner Herzog character who goes unnamed throughout the series. And uh, that is that is the sin that gets him in trouble. Kicked out of the Bounty Hunters Guild. Put on the run. And again, morally speaking, the sin is he aban- he turned that child over to the Imperials knowing bad things were, to- were, were in store for that child. And now, by the, end of the, by the end of the season, here in Chapter 8, he comes full circle and achieves redemption because not only has he uh, liberated the child, but he is now uh, charged with officially charged with the protection of the child moving forward and reuniting him with his people. So a, a really important development and something that needed to be elaborated on a little a little bit further uh, before we really wrap things up. Again, I apologize for, for uh, misidentifying the episode. I, I, I have no excuse. That was just a complete and total brain fart. But this is Chapter 8, Redemption. And uh, again, a key element... In, in the development of Din Djarin. He commits the sin in chapter 3, and now he gets the redemption for those actions and everything that's happened since then. Uh, really, really great stuff. You know, it's 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 not like super complicated stuff, but like I said, this is a show with, it's, it's got surprising depth and surprising nuance to it. And it's, it's you know, it's just stuff like that. It's, it's you know, if you, if, you, if you pay attention to the show, uh, you get rewarded uh, across the board for thematic elements that, that maybe, uh, you know, the casual viewer, maybe someone not paying that much attention, you know, and it kind of just goes goes right over their heads. Uh, but these are the things that people who listen to podcasts like this get rewarded for. So an important element to Din's character moving forward into Season 2. Uh, he's been redeemed for his sin. Now it's time to take care of the child, find some Jedi, and kick some ass. All right, with that, this has been... The 10th episode of Mandovision as we, we break down Chapter 8 of Season 1 of The Mandalorian, The Reckoning. So here's where I need you guys, guys, this is where I need everyone's help. Make sure that uh, you are supporting this podcast in, in the best way you can, that you are subscribed to the show, you're downloading the show, you're liking the show, you're sharing the show with all your friends. Uh, make sure you can follow us on, on all those major uh, podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, all of those big ones. If you need us somewhere else, we can be somewhere else. Just let me know. Hit me up. And the best way to hit me up, that's on social media. You can follow us at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. 
and 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 like those photos and and, and like I said, share us. There's a lot of Star Wars podcasts. There's a lot of Star Wars uh, Instagram and Twitter feeds. Uh, but we're doing something pretty fun over here, and, and I would love this. I'd love the additional support from from everyone who's taking the time to listen and download to the show. I hope you're having as much fun listening to it as I am making it. It 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 means the world to me that you're taking the time to check us out and in, in what we're doing here. So with that being said, uh, gosh, I guess we have to close it out because I mean that's it. Oh, you know what? One other thing. Let me let me do one other thing. Since since I'm encouraging you to go onto the social media to follow us. Again, at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. I already told you, we're coming up with the with the with the what we're going to be looking forward to in season two. Be a, be it'll be a lot of speculation. It'll be based on a lot of like the rumors and the whispers that are in the wood in in the, in the weeds about what's coming up on season two of The Mandalorian. Hit me up on Twitter on Instagram and uh, let's let's talk let's talk about what you think's coming up. And we'll get into it on the on the podcast, and we can kind of dive into some of these topics. So again, engagement on on the social medias is is something that gets me really excited. Again, Twitter and Instagram, hit me up with, with what you think is in store for season two of The Mandalorian. Again, eleven days out, but we're gonna get into it because it's time to get really, 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 really excited. I can't wait. It's gonna be a fun, fun. Gosh, what is it? Eight or nine episodes? I don't think they're doing ten. I think it's eight episodes again. But boy, oh boy, can't wait. And uh, the word is out, Favreau saying that it looks like season three is going to film soon. They're going to start filming before 2020 is over. So this is great news. Hopefully they have the proper precautions in place so that everyone is safe and, and, and you know, still a pandemic going on. But hopefully we, we can film some new episodes of The Mandalorian in a safe environment so that we can keep getting our fix of The Mandalorian, of Baby Yoda, of Cara Doom. Learn more about Moff Gideon. All this stuff. We want all of it. So if they can do that safely, more power to them. Let's let's keep it going, and uh, let's let's see how let's, let's speculate and see how big and bad season two can get because uh, I think there's great things ahead in season two of The Mandalorian. All right, I've blabbered on enough. So hit me up on the social medias. Let's talk about what we're looking forward to the most in season two. We close out Mandavision this week in the in the only way we can close out Mandavision. This is the way. You expect me to search the galaxy for the home of this creature and deliver it to a race of enemy sorcerers? This is the way.